All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fuckstables? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckleberry fins? Yeah, okay, that's enough. I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I hope you're okay. Hope everything's all right with you. Today is Alan Stephen Day. Alan Stephen, uh, a comedian that many of you may not have heard of, but for those of you who know what my past is, and part of the darkness of that past being the year or so, the year or so I spent at the comedy store back in the day, will know that I have an obsessive fascination with uh, what that place wrought upon the world for both good and bad. And and as some of you will know from my episodes with uh, Yakov Smirnoff, Jimmy Walker, Don Barris, Jimmy Schubert, Carl LeBove, uh, Pauly Shore, obviously to a certain degree, that I'm sort of uh, amassing a, a weird and dark and not so dark history of the place. And Alan Stephen is another addition to that history as will another episode coming up shortly, Alan Bursky, uh, just piecing stuff together, or at least you know digging deeper into the uh, the dark and interesting history of the comedy store and its personal effect on me and on comedy and in general. But uh, you know, Alan is an intense dude, and when I first met Alan, uh, when I became a doorman at the comedy store, I found him very intimidating and very frightening. And I'm happy to report that I still find both of those to be true, and I think Alan would be uh, flattered by that. Oh, uh, I, I also wanted to say that Alan Steven reached out to me. That yeah, I don't want to forget that. Alan Steven reached out to me because he he had heard some of those other interviews that I did with people from the comedy store, and he wanted to set some things straight. He he said some of that was some some of it was not quite right. So that's that's another element of this interview. What else has happened? There were torrential downpours here, and I know that uh, some of you out in the world, out in the country. Midwest, Southeast, East, uh, have no sympathy for, for rain. Uh, you've been dealing with snow. You know, things are frozen. Maybe pets are lost and, and frozen, perhaps. Uh, pipes freeze. Everything freezes. Things die. Uh, things get damaged permanently. And, uh, and the winter has been hard and cold and bitter and troubling. I, I know that. But it did rain here for a few days, and it was fucking ridiculous. I mean, this we needed the rain, man. We needed it. But it, it was flash flooding style rain. Like, what is happening? Do I build an ark type of shit? And I got a problem. I got a problem that I'm going to hip you to. All right? The problem is, is that my house, the, the crappy uh, shit pile that it is up here on the hill and the garage out back here, my driveway, either over time or was... Or, from whenever they poured the concrete does not drain properly water builds up and my only drainage because no one put a fucking drain on my driveway when they conceived of uh, putting the concrete down what i had been depending on as a drain is just this cracked broken hole over on uh, you know the far side of uh, outdoor outside of my garage always on my mind this hole because one time last year two years ago the hole clogged up with crap leaves and bullshit you know, dirt and bullshit. And then the water started to rise till it almost went into the garage. I had about an inch before it flooded out the garage, but I should have put a drain system in. So my biggest fear was realized. Torrential downpours, water building up quickly, crack hole that I depend on for a drain backing up, not draining. So now I've got a pool rising to the lip of the bottom of the garage door, which would flood out the f- concrete beneath my garage, creating mold and garbage and smell and God knows what. Panic. I'm out there. 
I'm fucking, you know, squeegeeing with a push broom in the middle of a torrential downpour. Now, look, this isn't Katrina, folks. My home isn't floating away, but I did have a, a sort of immediate empathy for those who who have to deal with water at that rate. And and I, you know, and, and it put it into a different perspective. Obviously, again, was not in trouble uh, in terms of uh, my life, but my livelihood was a, a little uh, a little in jeopardy. If the garage flooded out, it would have been a big pain in the ass. But I was proud that I was able to contextualize it and say, dude, you'll deal with this. So now I got a hole that's backing up with water and water building up. I run to the hardware store. I go, give me a, I need a snake. I need a rooter. I got to try to do something to move the shit through this hole. That's not a pipe. What do I do? So I go out, I bought a 25 foot rooter. I come back out pouring rain. I got my raincoat on. My shoes are soaked through. My pants are wet. I'm on my knees running a 25 foot snake into a hole. That's not a pipe thinking that might work. No bottom to the hole. The 25 feet went in with no uh, context, no no pipe to, and it was doing nothing. It was as if I would have dropped it and it would have just sunk to the bottom of the world. So now I got this backed up hole and no solution. I freak out. I call an architect I know, Jeremy Levine. And I'm like, dude, dude, what do I do? He goes, I can send some people. I'm like, what are they going to jackhammer a channel? I mean, they're going to have to jackhammer a channel for this to work out. There's no other way. I've already figured it out. I'm a fucking engineer. I can work these things through. There's no way to solve this problem without jackhammering and building a moat. And then me, the engineer, having no idea what I was talking about, Jeremy goes, well, maybe get some sandbags. I'm like, sandbags? You mean the things they build dams out of when levees break? Sandbags? You mean the things that have been used to hold back water and rechannel water since sandbags were invented? Sandbags? You mean the one thing I didn't fucking think about to do? Go to Home Depot and get sandbags? So, Freaking out in the middle of the rainstorm, my friend Dean Delray, who had just texted me 15 minutes before that he wanted to go record shopping in my neighborhood, who I said, can't, busy. So then when I get the sandbag idea, I'm like, fuck, man. So I, I reach out to Delray. I'm like, Delray, you here, man? I need help. He didn't know what kind of help, but he said, I'm coming, man. So he came with another guy, this guy, uh, Brempton Biddlecombe, a comic from the store, and they both show up, man. I mean, that... You got to love the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes comics are just out in the world gathering things, doing research, and there's a cry for help. Poor Dean gets over. He's like, I didn't know what was going on, man. I thought maybe you're in trouble. There was, uh, there was, uh, I didn't know what was happening. Like, no, dude, we got to go get sandbags. We got to sandbag the, the garage. The garage needs to be saved. So we went to Home Depot. We got Sam. We got the bags. We came back. We loaded the bags secured the garage the garage was secured in the middle of this horrible storm and everything else so i get uh i get the opportunity to uh to present at the independent spirit awards it's going to be me and aubrey plaza presenting pat oswalt is hosting you know it's the it's the indie oscars in a way i was nervous i was excited i was thrilled to be part of it but also uh of course, a little insecure, like, you know, why am I part of this? I'm not big enough, but, 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 but that's me. So I take Moon, and we go. We get dressed up. We get in her car. You know, I got my passage. go valet park down Santa Monica. Uh, you know, I'm very early because I'm like the guy, like, why? I don't I want to get there when there's still food there. That, you know, that's the way I think about everything. What, what if the food's gone? So there, we're there too early. We walk the red carpet. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, real fanfare. A few pictures are taken, but none of the other celebrities there for another hour. Then we go to the swag tent, get some swag. I'm not even sure people really did know who I was, but you know I had access, so I got, you know, I got some stuff. 
But then, you know, I ran, you know, everybody started showing up. You know, I, I went, I saw Patton. You know, it was good to see him. He was nervous. I really wanted him to do well. It's a very tough gig to host one of those things. And I, you know, I'm happy to report that in my heart, I wanted him to do well. And I walk in, he's like, oh God, this is just what I need. This soul suck. And I'm like, no, come on, man. How you feeling? But I, it's, it, it, was, it was very interesting to be sitting in a room with, you know, Brad Pitt, Bruce Dern, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Sandberg was there. Uh, Bill Hader, I saw all the directors of all the movies, the cast of uh, 12 Years a Slave, the cast of, you know, Kate Blanchett was there. It was weird because, you know, I'm backstage, I'm in the makeup room, I'm going over some stuff. Kate Blanchett is there talking to somebody. I really, I like movie stars to be movie stars, and I still struggle with the idea that these are just people. And uh, we're in the same community. We're obviously not at the same level, but show business is a community of people. Matthew McConaughey, John Hamm was there, and he, we, he busted my balls a little bit. That was nice. Who else was there? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Keanu Reeves was there. I mean, it was just like crazy because you're just in this big room. You don't see people coming and going. And then all of a sudden I'm waiting to go on and uh, I'm watching the the monitors and there's you know, they're cutting to these people, these these real movie stars. And it was a little daunting, but exciting. And I, I didn't really feel nervous going on stage you know, in front of them. You know, I, I watched Patton slug it out. Not an easy gig. Slugged it out like a goddamn pro. Uh, I watch everybody's jokes just, you know, kind of <laughs> hitting a wall. And I realized, well, this is the nature of this. This is what this is. There's 2,000 people in this room sitting at tables eating, wondering if they're going to win or they're not going to win. And But just seeing people, you know, in the pauses, in the in the empty spaces, in the uh, in the moments of, you know, when they're not on stage, just seeing, you know, the, the humanity of a of a Cape Blanchett or 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 even uh, Jason Bateman. I know a lot of people in my business, they all hang around each other. I don't hang around you know, these these people and they're still kind of mythic to me. And it, it's always, a, it's a little bit of a struggle to, to feel like that I, I I deserve or I'm entitled to be at the situation like this. But I went up there with Aubrey. We did our little script that, uh, that she actually, you know, we had been sent some jokes and she wanted to do something else. And she came up with the idea of framing it in a podcast. And I thought that was great. So I chipped away at it a little. It's only three lines. But, you know, we knew going in, it's like this is not the warmest room in the world. You know, we went up there to present the John Cassavetes Award. And it went, you know, it went okay. We got a little laugh and, it, you, know, I, I, you know, I stayed in it and it was good. You know, I didn't freak out. I didn't have expectations out of the audience. I just was going to do my bit and show a little respect to the winner of that award. And then uh, that was that. We you know, went through the whole thing. I think McConaughey and Jerry, Jared Leto had some good speeches. And it was fascinating. You know, it's just like I'm looking in this room and I'm looking, you know, at the screens and I'm looking at the, the ceremony. And, and to me, it's like, you know, these, this is a rare era these people live. And, you know, these are all people I've known all my life, but they don't know me. And, you know, some of them are my heroes. But I'll tell you, the great leveler in this situation was waiting for the valet. There I was. There's John Waters waiting for his car. There's Keanu, the biggest star in the world for a number of years. We're just waiting for a car, hoping it doesn't rain. Just people waiting for a car. The, I mean, the difference was they were waiting for limos. I was, I was waiting for someone to bring Moon's car around. <laughs> it's a nice car, but you know. I guess I could have had a limo, but like I'm not even you know paying enough attention to my email to know that 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 one was sent to my house. But nonetheless, it's those moments where you know everyone becomes people. Sometimes it's tragedy, other times it's just waiting for your car, just waiting for the car to come. All right, let's talk to Alan Steven. <laughs> Ah! 
my experience, you know, my knowledge of you, Alan Stephen, it's very weird because my memories are so so specific and so uh, in a short time window. I mean, uh, I was at the comedy store maybe you know less than a year, and I got fucked out of my brain on drugs. Mm-hmm. When I got there, that you were this mythic uh, figure. You're on the road, and then one day I picked you up at the airport with Jim Schubert. And, uh, and well, your memory's way better than oh, mine. I know because these are like these, the re- they resonate with me. And then I went to be, I saw you after that and in the back bar, and I said, I made some joke to you, and you just looked at me and goes, What, you give me a ride home from the airport? We're fucking friends now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my humor yeah, can I be know. taken wrong. <laughs> you were also the only guy I ever saw that would ask for the lights to be dimmed in the OR. That was the first time I saw that. Like when Alan would go on, he'd be all of a sudden he'd be like, oh, The lights are down. But we're, but you were there forever. Like, I've talked to Jimmy Walker. I've talked to a couple old store guys. I mean, the guys who actually know the history of the comedy store. I mean, I talked to Don Barris, but he came in a little before me. But I you... came in late 75. So it was two years in. Uh-huh. And Jimmy Walker, the first time I sold a joke was to him. Really? Mm-hmm. And what was the, where'd you come from? South Jersey. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the big plan was, I'm going to go be a comedian. No. Oh. I was a child actor. I I know. Listen, I'm in pain in this business a long time. (laughs) What do you? you... Uh, I did TV commercials, Mm -hmm. and uh, like what what years are we talking? I mean, sixties. Uh huh. Anison. Uh Remember, they had a campaign. Sure, you're tense. You're irritable. (laughs) Yeah. But don't take it out on him. Yeah. Well, I was the him. Yeah. And uh, I think there might have been a tire one for Pirelli tires or something. Mostly commercials, though? All commercials. Yeah. And then uh, my parents uh, wanted me to go to school. Yeah. So I went back into high school, and I hated it because when I was in South Jersey, it was all trees. Mm -hmm. You can't find one, though. Mm -hmm. I was in Voorhees, and I went to the same high school as Kelly Ripa. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was the first full graduating class. So it was basically, uh, how do I put this? Uh, Hicks. Yeah, yeah. And here I am. I also modeled. Yeah. So I have clothes before it comes out. I'm gone from school a lot. So I'm the odd man out. Yeah. uh, So to speak. Yeah. So I plan to, uh, 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 then I was booking bands for a a mob uh, front uh, agency early relationship with the mafia mm-hmm. and what bands were they big bands well it was bands for like the hyatt yeah, cherry yeah. hill this kind of thing yeah and uh i was the first guy you know they used to make the owners come to the clubs mm-hmm. well i was the first guy and they'd wheel it in on a tray we're going way back here. yeah yeah and it was a vhs machine yeah that was like the size of a, a washer it was probably a betamax yeah was, yeah, 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 yeah 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 huge yeah and I'd wheel it in, and I'd have all my bands on tape. And they were just like, wow. <laughs> and so I'd book them all in one day, and I'm done. Yeah, what bands? Anybody? Oh, no, it was all local things. Okay. Like, there was a nine-piece band. There was a great girl singer. And I also had Flip Wilson's double. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I couldn't get the Cherry Hill Hyatt house to, to book my bands. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I tried, and I tried. Mm-hmm. And of course, the mob guy that I finally, finally met, we went there one night. He tried. He couldn't pull it off? No. Uh-huh. It was an older man. It was uh-huh. great. It's the first time I've ever saw power work. Uh-huh. The waitress came over, and he wrote his name on a $100 bill, ripped it in half, handed it to her, and said, call me. You'll get the other half. And I went, what a pompous ass. Next time I see him, the limo opens, there's the waitress. Come on. I swear to God. So it's now New Year's, yeah. and uh, I think the day before that day, the Hyatt calls me. We lost our big act. Do you have anything? 
They go, yeah, I'm friends with Flip Wilson. He happens to be in town. Well, I had the double. Yeah. So I got to say to this idiot who's dying to perform. Yeah. And he looks dead on like him. Yeah. When they play the, your theme song, you come out, you do four or five jokes, and we got to get out of here before they realize you're not him. I said, listen, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm hanging with Flip tonight. It's New Year's. Yeah. I'll stop in. Yeah. I'll save you. Oh, so, so it was not a full show. Was, uh, yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The theme music starts. They're laughing at this guy, and I see, you know, I'm not a comic yet, but yeah. I recognize the look at, I'm not getting off. Uh-huh. So finally, I just walked up there, and I go, Flip, we got another engagement. Yeah. And I went right out the back door, and the next day they called me and said, uh, we'll take your bands. Really? Yeah. So yeah. they had no idea. No. That's, no. A, that's a good story no, no. In, in show business politics. Yeah. You pulled it off. So then I uh, got tired of that, loaded yeah. up the car, moved to Beverly, as they say. What uh, What was your family? Wait, wait, are you Jewish guy? Yeah. In South Jersey? Mm-hmm. What was the old man's business? Uh, lumber. Oh, really? And then for 17 years, and then Casino Boss. Really? When Atlantic City opened up. Early on in Atlantic City. Oh when it, yeah, when it was just sort of like the you know there was a, there was the boardwalk and then there was just wreckage everywhere. Well, it's not much different. You know, the I've real gamble there. there is winning and trying to get to your car. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that's for real, man. So where was the first time you did stand up? Well, interestingly enough, yeah, uh, I moved into uh, this green building that's old at the bottom of Laurel Canyon. As you go, but up you hadn't on the done right. stand up in Jersey. N- no. no. Well, actually, if you want to hear that horrible story, yeah, that's a. I'm dating a girl who I loved. Mm-hmm. She works at a steak and ale, steak and brew, or something. It's in, two restaurants, yeah, and yeah. a lounge, yeah, by the Garden State Racetrack. Mm-hmm. And I go in the lounge, and there's a brother sister team. She plays drums, he plays the organ, and they're great. Yeah. But I get up in between, and I play a little drums. Yeah. So I play a drums, and then I go off in the Philly guys. Hey, nice white belt, you little sucker. You yeah. Know. So the uh, guy who uh, owns it catches that one night. He yeah. says, how would you like to make this your room on the weekend? So all I do is greet people and then rip them apart on stage. It's, you know, I don't think it's comedy, but <laughs> yeah. la- they laugh. Yeah. So it's uh, their New Year's is coming up, right? And the band uh, play another funky song, White Boy. Yeah, play another, play that funky music, yeah. right? White I Boy, think yeah. they appeared, and he said, "Hey, you want to open for them?" Yeah, and not thinking, and I did what everybody does. I took a little bit of this guy, a little bit of Robert Klein, a little bit of this, uh-huh. and of course, nothing matches. Yeah, and my parents came. The place is packed, and I'm eating a sandwich. You know, I don't know what to do. Right, dead. Dead silence. The whole time? I mean, when I started comedy, I've never had a show like this. And a friend of mine that I grew up with is with me, and the only one laughing is my father. Yeah. When I say laughing, hysterically. <laughs> He's the only guy in the room laughing? Well, yeah, but hysterically. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, they don't even, they're looking at him like he's crazy. Right. So I get off stage, and I literally threw up in the parking lot. Yeah. And when I got home, I said, Dad, what the hell are you laughing at? He goes, the pain. What kind of idiot doesn't know when they're losing? He said, you just kept going, and it was killing me. And then I loaded up the car. I had no desire to be a comedian. And somehow I'm on a party on Larrabee Street in West Hollywood Uh on the top of the roof, and there's a... The guy from Car 54. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was that guy? Joey Ross. Yeah. So I'm on the roof, and I meet Mitchell Walters. This is where at the- In West Hollywood. Yeah. On the roof of an apartment building. Yeah. There's a pool. There's a party going on. And that guy's there? Not only is there, he, I'm a fan. Yeah. I grew up watching it, so I yeah, walk yeah, over, yeah. and he's looking what I think is out of looking yeah, over yeah, the yeah. city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I go over there, I reach my hand out to talk to him. 
He's pissing off the roof. I go, Mr. Ross, I'm such a... And he turns, and I go, what the fuck? Yeah. You go, yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> and, you know, your, your whole thing about the illusion of uh, this guy is just yeah. out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as far as I know, he fell into the part now. Yeah. <laughs> so I meet Mitchell Walters, and a guy, his name just came to me, Bobby Lord. Right. I remember that I guy's think he name. Wound up, he snapped. I I thought I heard. I think, yeah, he wound up maybe uh, nuts. Yeah. Well, he was a, a comic or yeah. a singer. He yeah, he was a comic, and I uh, started to hang out with Mitchell and him. It's, this is seventy five. Yeah, into seventy five. And Mitchell. Mitchell's like you, you know, he's sort of a, a mythic guy. If you you're a store guy or you're a comedian, just this, uh, you know, where's Mitchell Walters? What's that guy up to? Well, back then, I think he was helping Freddie Prinze out. Uh huh. And. Uh, uh, so I started hanging with him and Bob. Yeah. And I would do wacky things. We're in the market, and I'd lay in the frozen food section, and they'd walk by, and I'd pop up. And <laughs> after a while, they said, you're funny. You want to try the comedy store. So, wow. So you hadn't been over there yet? No. This is before the resurgence of comedy. There's nothing. Well, this is no, there's the beginning of the store, really, the first couple of years, yeah. right? Yeah. I can't even imagine what the fuck it was like. So they're well, telling you you got to go. Here's what it was like. The original room's half its size. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main room is a Mexican disco run by Art LeBeau. Uh-huh. Uh, upstairs is closed off. The bar is really unusable. So it's like it's uh, it's in disrepair and it seems temporary. Yeah, and her office is at the bottom of the steps between the bathrooms with a desk, a cigarette, some cigarettes in a jar, and some bubble uh, bubble gum. So it's almost like she's just uh, just occupied a building. She basically just got the door. She, Mitzi. She was renting the space from Art LeBeau. Uh-huh. So somewhere along the line, she opens Westwood. What uh, Art LeBeau, What's his? Who? What's his? He path? was a DJ in town, right. large DJ, and he owned the building. Mm, well, he held the lease, uh-huh. I think. <laughs> yeah, and leased to her because mm-hmm. this is a great story. Yeah, at some point, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, uh, she buys the building, right, and throws him out. Right, but he still has a lease. Right, so he throws her out. Uh huh. And for about eight months, it was called the Funny Farm. He tries to get in the comedy business. This is when you were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now Westwood, which he had started, blows up because of that. Yeah. She's got all the comics. Nobody's going to the Funny Farm. Right. And uh, so Westwood's huge. Uh huh. So I go there on their Monday night, and I uh, do my thing with some props. Yeah. And I'm horrible. Yeah. And they needed comics. So she said, okay. So Westwood was like, they, this is the true. They needed comics now. Now so the guy pumping your gas goes, hey, I do comedy too. Why don't you come see my show? You know what I mean? Yeah, I got 10 minutes. Yeah, so the store becomes huge. What, in Westwood? It, yeah, the line literally is about 500 people up the street. Now, who's the guy on the bill? Who's What's a bill look like that, you know? Oh, well. You had Paul Mooney. This is 75. Jay Leno. Or 76. David Letterman. Yeah. Uh, probably 76 now. Jimmy Walker. So that's a hell of a bill. Oh, well, it, it was the it was 17 guys <laughs> yeah. that were really headliners, and the rest were, what the hell? Yeah. Because those same 17 kind of are involved with starting the comedy strike later on. Right. But in the meantime, you can't believe what's going on. This place is packed till 2 in the morning, seven days a week in westwood mm-hmm. and i'm telling you it wraps around the corner it huh. goes up westwood boulevard and down another street uh-huh. and, and mooney would stay on like he always does till like 3 3 30 in the morning we just stopped serving liquor so i think 79 i'll jump ahead yeah i'm working making sandwiches for office buildings 
you know, four four hundred turkey, four hundred this, and somebody delivers them. Where at that? What you were at a catering company? Well, there's two gay guys in a building. I don't know what they were catering. <laughs> and uh, Argus found out, and he told Mitzi, and she sent me to La Jolla. Mm-hmm. I think I'm the only guy that played there, maybe five, six, seven months straight. Really? And well, you know, the trade out is I had to take thirteen year old or twelve year old Paulie. Yeah, and babysit him. Yes. Yeah. So he would get up every morning at four and go surfing. And then right. when his brother'd visit, there was two of them. So I'd stand on the pier because if they drowned, I'm out of business. <laughs> Peter? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one day Paulie says, Hey, they want to know why my father keeps watching us. And I just looked him in the face. I said, Anything happens to you, kid, I'm dead in the water. <laughs> if you're dead in the water, yeah. I'm dead in the water. But he hadn't gotten into women yet. Yeah. So I went through him telling me the story. Yeah. Sandy Short decides to get married. The sister. Yeah. And her and the mom really don't get along. She says, I'm not paying for the wedding. And yeah. I don't blame her. Yeah. Because four months earlier, she said, I'm getting married. I said, to who? She said, I don't know. <laughs> right. So it's some really straight guy from the Navy. He yeah. does not know that the Adams family is marrying the Adams family. <laughs> so uh, she comes to me. You know, I'm very close with them. Yeah. So she comes to me and says, uh, mom won't pay for the wedding. Yeah. So I go upstairs and I go, listen, you guys have enough problems. It's wrong. It's, it's not going to end well. I go, listen, just pay. And she's, oh, all right. So yeah. she finally gives in. Now she's a chanter. Yeah, yeah, Sandy, right? I kind of so remember that. the right. wedding is yeah. in the desert at some chapel, and all she's worried about is that the comics are father and Ollie Joe, Sammy, Sh- Sammy Shore, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait till you hear this story yeah. with Sammy. We're in the middle of nowhere, and yeah. she's just... Please, please don't do anything. The big muckety mucks marrying us. Please, he flew in special. From the Nomiho, the Buddhist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, but the big muckety Yeah, muck. yeah. And she's very nervous yeah. about that. Not the wedding. Yeah. She don't even know the guy. She don't care about him. Why the hell was she marrying? Is it, was this after she went out with Dice? Uh, no, I don't okay. think so. Okay. This might have been before. Yeah. And then, this is the greatest story. Yeah. We're on one side. The Which, comics, the yeah, pirates. Yeah. <laughs> On the other side is everybody in the orange. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the robes. And, yeah. Yeah. And now here come a few in the orange things waving the incense. Uh-huh. Now the big muckety muck comes down and, yeah. I, and I, he barely speaks English. Right. He marries them. Yeah. And as he steps down the stage, he yeah. makes face contact with Sammy Shore. He goes, Sammy Shore, you're my favorite comic. <laughs> Well, the night takes a turn. It's one of the greatest parties ever, ever. We got these people doing crap they never would do. And uh, I think about six months later, Mitzi says, well, thanks. Yeah. You know, they're getting a divorce. And I go, wait a minute. I think I have that in the pool. She goes, you had a pool going? I go, well, of course. You didn't think I thought it was going to live. So anyway, uh, at the same time, Mitzi brought down her brother for the wedding. And mm-hmm. he's deaf. Mm-hmm. So he's sharing the condo with Paulie and I. Yeah. And Paulie tells me he lost, uh, you know, he's no longer a virgin. Oh, yeah. And he starts telling me the story. And I said, excuse me, because I got to go out in the balcony. I smoked that. Yeah. I'm smoking a cigarette and I'm, I'm pissed off because this kid's like 15 years ahead of himself. Yeah. And I know the girl in the building. She's a stunning, stunning 13-year-old. <laughs> So I go back in and I go, so, you know, so what else happened? Well, I took some frozen hot dogs and I was putting them inside her and I'm going, wait, I got to go outside and smoke a cigarette. Come on. I haven't even done the frozen hot dog thing. <laughs> Long story short, the next day at the yeah. wedding, Mitzi says, thanks for keeping my brother up all night. I go, the deaf guy? <laughs> yeah. So 
<laughs> you know, I, I was close. These are all true stories. They're just bizarre. Yeah, they are bizarre. Now, but like when you got there, like when you started working there and she started doing. Steve the- Landisberg was the big gun. And they were dating, right? Mitzi and Steve? Yeah. I'd go over to the house and here's how he disciplined Paulie. Paulie, stop it. I'll rip your dick off. <laughs> he was funny, right? Beyond funny and a really nice man. You know, I had a film yeah. that's been postponed and he was going to be in it and sadly he uh, passed away. Was Pryor coming in too? Oh, yeah. But he really starts when she takes back Sunset. After the funny firm farm. Well- what the happens is his lease ran out. Yeah. She owns the building now, and she tosses him. She enlarges the original room, makes the main room back into a showroom, and eventually breaks into the walls and starts cleaning up upstairs, because I found a great uh, album I have of all the pictures from people from Ciro's, uh, all the stars. You got it? Sammy Davis, How'd you get Jerry it? Lewis. I took it. You still have it? Yeah. So were you there when Lebitkin jumped off the building and everything? Yeah. In fact, I was in the building. You were in the store when it happened. Yeah, and sadly, you know how comedians are. Yeah. Right away, it was, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's raining comedians, yeah. you know. All right, so so what is the scenario? So who are the guys? So Argus is there, Dreesen is there, you're there. Well, Jimmy here's Walker's her inner there. circle. Binder, Ollie, Argus. Ollie Joe Prater. Yeah, a couple guys that fell by the wayside and me. Okay. We're- You're on Team Mitzi. Not- well, we're in her inner circle. Okay. Before anybody made money, she used to take, like us, on yeah. vacation. We'd go to Palm Springs. She'd uh-huh. hang with us. It was, she was magnificently funny and completely different before the strike. Uh-huh. So when, so how did it happen? Because like, by the time the strike happened, she was having a lot of success, correct? Well, Westwood was flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original room's doing well. Mm-hmm. And now she's trying this big room. Yeah. You know, it's a four, 350, 400-seater. Nobody's done that. Bud didn't have that nobody. Yeah. Nobody in the country really had it. You know, it, it was an awkward time because there was only a few nightclubs you could play, like, uh, I think, something, Mr. Something in Chicago, the Playboy Clubs. There's no comedy no, club. Yeah. Bud's really in New York. He had just moved out here. Right. And uh, in New York, it was improv, comedy, singers, you know, uh, uh, Les Moonvest, mm-hmm. the, the big mogul. Yeah. Uh, I Head think it was CBS. the bouncer bar- bartender at the Improv in New York. Right. And uh, uh, Chris Albrecht yep. was, was the, the manager. Doorman. Yeah, he was the doorman too yeah. originally yeah, yeah. in the on uh, in New York, the original Improv. Yeah, so when they come out, mm-hmm. uh, he's doing okay, mm-hmm. but that's when their competition thing starts right. between the two of them. And uh, uh, eventually she gets this main room going, and it's doing well, and these guys go, hey, we'd like a taste. Mm-hmm. The comics, yeah, yeah. And she says, "You know, go fuck yourself." It's a workshop. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you make this room, now you're ready to go out into the world. Exactly. So, so fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I can't tell you how it was before the strike. The biggest guy, the littlest guy, nobody's on TV. Right. I remember we we all were celebrating Tom Dreesen's first Tonight Show. We went to uh, uh, the Rib Joint uh, uh, in uh, Beverly Hills, and we're all one, one for all and all for one. Yeah, because it was new. Like, stand-up, modern stand-up comedy was being invented before your eyes. Like, I didn't hang. It was like high school. Right. So I'm like a sophomore, yeah. And Leno and these guys are like seniors, yeah. So what? How, so how did the strike come to happen? Well, they decide they want to taste, yeah. So um, she won't give it to him, basically. 
So Elaine Boozler, who I was close, we were all fairly close. Yeah. She said, uh, basically, she came to me. Well, you're the leader of the nobodies is basically what she was saying. Can you help us organize? So they put the word out, and their first meeting was in the original room. Yeah. And I look around, and there's people. There's homeless people. There's cabbies that just stopped. Anybody who ever thought of being a comic, because it was in the papers, showed up. Mm Mm-hmm. And Leno's on stage. He goes, yeah, yeah, we got a snack here. And uh, in fact, Steve Landisberg, come on up and say something. Landisberg. Yeah. And Landisberg takes the stage and he goes like this. One, two, three, four. There's only five comics here. Who are these other people? Mm-hmm. And he walks off stage. <laughs> so we know where he stands. Right. And we're all together. The idea was get this guy in Newport at a bunch of clubs. Bud had the improv. Yeah. She had that. Uh-huh. So it's get everybody and as these clubs start to open around the country they'll have to pay Mm -hmm. sounds good to me well they keep having these meetings having these meetings and in one of them i remember gallagher going gallagher going let's just get the cunt and all fall in line and that's where they lost me Mm -hmm. in fact i was in a bud by the way immediately kisses ass you can have your meetings at my place Mm -hmm. and whatever she does i will do right uh, which not only did he not do, which I'll get to, but there's a class action suit for comics if they actually wanted it. So the last meeting I was at was there, and Tom Dreesen says, uh, if you don't go go along with us, then get out. And I said, I raised my hand. He goes, what? And I go, you know, I'm a Jew. That's how they got us on the trains. <laughs> yeah. What's your point? And I go, oh, I think we should have this. Boom, I'm thrown out. Yeah. Next comes Marty Cohen. Like, what they threw you out for? I started with the Jew stuff, too. Then comes with Maynard, who's Gentile. And yeah. I go, would you get thrown out? Because you guys made me crazy. <laughs> yeah. So now they align with an eight, uh, a union called AGVA. Mm-hmm. AGVA was for circus clowns and high divers on yeah. horses. And they're crooked as crooked can be, and they're on their way out. Yeah. Well, because they aligned with them, SAG, AFTRA, all the other guilds had to pretend that they're backing it. Uh-huh. Because they were, they were union people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to back the other unions, yeah. unfortunately. And they're they're not happy about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have a meeting, I just remember, in a big uh, uh, theater. And it's it's like the movie Fist. Mm-hmm. Bursky and I are sitting there. And the president of Agva starts talking. And I raise my hand and I go, hey, what happened to the funds that you built your pool with? You know, and somebody yeah, yeah. says, shut up. And Bursky goes, fuck you. And before you know it, it's literally like fist fights. <laughs> You know, you were just making a union joke. No, we were telling the truth. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd done some research on the. Well, guy? by now we've taken sides, right? And nobody's crossing the line. And sadly, there's signs out front that are so clever. You know, no yucks, no bucks, no yucks. Right. You know. Yeah. And it's on the news at night. Right. Because at Leno's out there, everybody's out there picketing, and Paulie's on the roof peeing on them. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think uh, Ollie Joe or Leno might have hit somebody with a motorcycle or a car. I remember Leno personally standing at the door and go, this guy's not funny. He'll never be funny. Don't go in there. And he might have had a point at that time. Because <laughs> you were on the other side. At this point, yeah. I didn't like the idea of just getting her. Yeah. Uh, I didn't feel it was right. It had yeah. nothing to do with the comedy. To me, it was a sense of fairness. Right. So I have been in, because I was a child actor, SAG since I'm 11. Yeah. So at some point they tried to make peace. Jimmy tries, uh, Marty Klein, who owned APA, tries. Between Mitzi and the comics. Yeah. Yeah. And there's several, many, many meetings and many, many uh, meetings with the guys. Oh, this went on for a while. 
and she keeps saying no, no, and uh, and people are afraid to come through the line, but they come. Comics you know, or the yeah, people, uh-huh. you know, but comics like Argus, Ollie, uh, Binder, you know, we had five minutes. Now we're doing twenty. Right. It's I'm like not good. saying they're laughing, but we're doing twenty. <laughs> you know, there's like ten of us. And Binder's like twelve years old, right? Yeah, yeah kid comedy <laughs> yeah. called himself. Uh, he, I met him. He was carrying props for Lenny Schultz. If you oh remember this God, guy, sure. Uh, so. Um, Towards the end, now there's a lot of hatred going on for everybody, mm. both sides. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of jumping here. But towards the end, they they say, SAG put out the word, we're go- they're going to pull your card if you cross the line. Now, not many of them are in SAG, but they're terrified. So I said, hey, Mitzi, uh, I'm going to go over there and talk to SAG. She said, you have all my lawyers behind you. Do whatever you want. So I went there and I sat with some guy and he gets up and he shuts the door. And he goes, you fucking idiot comics. I go, I beg your pardon. He goes, the fuck, lining yourselves with Agva. I ought to beat the shit out of you right here. And I go, I just want to know, are you going to pull cards? He goes, we don't give a fuck if you fall off a cliff. Of course, that's confidential. Yeah. So I go and there's Marty Klein, Jimmy Walker, everybody. I said, they're not pulling cards. And that's when we all crossed the line. Yeah. So I kind of jumped ahead. That's when we crossed yeah. the line. And then it was very, very ugly. And what happened is... Between comics now. Mm-hmm. What happened is Tom Dreesen makes himself the leader. This is the other problem I had. He's literally, he goes on Dinah Shore and says he's the godfather of comedy. Dreesen. Yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking, what happened to Bob Hope? So, and I like Tom now, yeah. but for a lot of years we didn't talk. And, you know, it was... And Only listen, that. I was blackballed. I'd go into auditions and they go, you want Steven, get out. Really? Oh, yeah, because any of the bigger guys that got stuff would try to blackball you. So Because one, of that. Yeah. So one night we hear they're going to settle. So yeah. there's a bunch of comics there. Marsha Warfield knows Tom Dreesen from Chicago. And we're sitting in a booth and he comes down. And he goes, well, strike settled. She goes, what are we getting? He goes, well, it's just the 17 of us that are getting money. When you work your way up to the main room, you'll get that money. She goes, yeah, but you use the masses to get it. Mm-hmm. And he walks back upstairs and starts to strike all over again. Really? Yeah. Marsha Warfield did that. Well, she said, well, she was right. Yes, you no, she was right. A thousand yeah. people for 17. Right. You know, Everybody we, we didn't need it. the yeah. aggravation. Right. A lot of guys walk the line. Yeah. Like Johnny Dark, I have breakfast breakfast with him almost every other day at uh, Jerry's. And he it was a gentleman then and a gentleman now. He never said, oh, Alan, you're a piece of shit. Where the other guys, literally, after the strike, took about three years. But Leno walked up to me one night. And he goes, uh, I never thought you'd be funny. That was great. I yeah. said, thank you, you scab. <laughs> he and, said that to you? Yeah, and during the strike, George Miller, you remember him? Yeah. He, they're his buddies. Yeah. But George did drugs and smoked pot. Yeah. So he'd knock at my door at 2 in the morning and go, you up, I yeah. got some stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I go, yeah, come on in. And then as he's leaving, he goes, I'll deny I even know you. <laughs> oh, my God. So I would walk by them, and the first guy to say something is George. He goes, look, look at you, you scab bastard. Yeah. And I, we, we know what's really going on. Right. I don't think anybody knows that to, to, uh, from his side until yeah. just now. Yeah. So uh, um, the strike had ended. Yeah. And she agreed to pay 25 in the original room. 50 on the weekends and half the door would be split with the comics in the main room yeah but i think it's still that way yeah and bud who said he'd follow anything she did paid 17 dollars mm-hmm. like he still does mm-hmm. or whoever has it now 
and takes out taxes. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of the strike is Mitzi went all the way to Supreme Court to prove her independent contractors. If if you take out taxes in a check, I sh if I fall, I should be covered. Well, I'm not. Mm -hmm. So the improv kind of, in my book, is a class action suit waiting to happen. Interesting. Uh so ultimately, what do you think her fight was? What was she afraid of? I mean, if the business was successful, that's the one thing when I well, read Because it's not- You got to remember, she had a big mortgage, the Pinto. It's not like she had money. It's just starting to come. Yeah. And she has the mortgage of the building. Uh, there's a lot going on for her financially. Right. So, know? and also, but she had it framed in her head- that that it did she really believe that yes. that the comics did not deserve to be paid? Yeah, and she so, was a different person after that. She felt she was stabbed in the back. She was never the same. Never ever the same. She got hard. That's when she started. This is why I called you. Yeah. You said you were afraid of her, but Don Barris said he was afraid of her. That's when it started. After the strike, she became uh, distant, not mm -hmm. to the people that knew her, mm -hmm. but she didn't like. Anybody knowing, she wanted that you afraid of her. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, one night uh, uh, when she uh, opened Vegas, yeah, you know, when it got around the opening dunes. the Vegas at the Dunes, that's when she really starts making money. Uh -huh. I'm in the green room there with the comics. Uh -huh. and she comes into the room. You know how she gets her creative moments. Yeah, you know, Jackie Banana. Sure, sure. She, she told me I should yeah. wear a scarf. Okay. Yeah, Alan, you should wear a white suit and tell grape nut jokes. Mm-hmm. I wish I was making that up. Yeah. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> so I looked at her in front of everybody and I said, you know what you should do? You should ought to go fucking hire the guy you're talking about. <laughs> and she leaves the room. She goes, you know, you're right, hon. <laughs> and she leaves the room. The comics go, we've never seen anybody do that. <laughs> but they hadn't had that. You were newer longer. By that point, I mean- I overstepped a boundary. You did. Because I know there's nothing to be afraid of and I just busted her cover. Right. So, but only because you have the history. I imagine the other well, guys. Well, she doesn't wouldn't... like the history. Oh, yeah. So what she does is doesn't send me to Vegas for two years, and about four months later, again I'm sitting with her in the booth, and she again pokes me and goes, "They need to be afraid of me." Yeah. Uh -huh. I said, "What's the big? They need to be afraid of me. I don't want anything to happen again." Huh? All right. Really? It took so me it... two years to get back in Vegas because I overstepped the line. So she understood the castle and the power that mm -hmm. she wielded. Well, at that time, networks are asking her to cast. Johnny Carson's coming in nightly, you know. Working out bits? It's the place to be. No, he's coming in to pick up comics for, well, he's drunk with some women, but he, he's calling, you know, he's in between so, lives. So, so after the strike, everything, you know, like, okay, so everyone's getting paid. She's, you know, now kind of... Uh, well, we're sent to Siberia, which is Westwood. So, who the, my my yeah my my guys? But that becomes our club. Prior starts coming in. Yeah, and that really sets her on the map. Yeah, really. And I'm saying all three rooms, uh, and Westwood, seven nights a week from opening to closing, packed. What's that, like seventy seven? Yeah, seventy seven, all the way into eighty one, eighty two, when the clubs start opening up. Right. And that would, I knew it was going to be vaudeville because, yeah. you know, 15 in one town, Yeah, how much comedy can you support? Right. So I barely worked that. And, uh, but she was very different after that. Very different. But she did maintain her power for oh, a yeah. long time. I'll tell you how much so. You've had Jimmy Schubert on the show? Yeah. You know, he limps. Yeah, I know. Well, I rem I w that's when I got there when he, I, w I went with him to get his cast off. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know how he kept that leg? How? 
comes up to me one night and he said, are you Alan? Yeah. I said, yeah, and I did the same thing I do with you. Yeah. Why would you approach me? I yeah. don't know you. Yeah, yeah, fuck you. You know, that was yeah. my thing. Yeah. And, and if you busted me, I'd laugh. Yeah. You know, but yeah. if you didn't, I'd play along. Yeah, yeah. It'd just leave me scared. So, and I'm literally <laughs> sitting, in, yeah, I'm sitting in the original room and I go outside because he upset me. He goes, well, Biff said to talk to you. You've slept with her. Mm. And Jimmy is now her boyfriend at the time. Yeah, young Jimmy. What was he, 20, 22? He talked about that on the show, yeah. Yeah, so what happened is uh, I said, well, maybe she listens to me because I haven't slept with her. Uh-huh. I said, I know what the room is. What did he want? What did he want? Well, he says, and he's in tears now. Yeah. Uh, the county's going to take my leg. I have no money. They're just going to cut it off. It's easier. I said, yeah, so what do you want from me? He goes, well, I said, are you the guy banging Mitzi? He goes, yeah. And, I go, and she won't save your leg? You must be a fucking lousy leg. <laughs> and he, he has no, no, you know, no sense of humor at this point. His leg is going, so he's not laughing at me. From the motorcycle thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I go upstairs, and I open her door, and I just sit down in front of her, and she's working at the desk, and I don't say anything. Yeah. She goes, what do you want? Yeah. I go, a leg? <laughs> she goes, what are you talking about? I go, seriously, how mad can you be? Because they were arguing. How mad can you be that you let that kid go lose a leg? Are you out of your fucking mind? What do you want? $10,000. That's what the leg cost. Yeah. So I came downstairs and I said, right, wait a little while. Go up there, take her on the desk and get you 10 grand. <laughs> Basically what happened. So it, now it becomes really high school. There's groups. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah. the potheads. There's the cokers. There's the drunks. Mm -hmm. There's the straights. Mm -hmm. There's those like Leno just want to be famous and get the hell out of there. Because I remember him saying the idea is to get out of here. Right. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So Dreesen doesn't talk to me. Boozler, uh, Bill Kirkenbauer. Uh -huh. they, they still don't talk to me. Dreesen does. It took about 20 years. And I understand it, but I also know how unions work. What would have happened with these guys in charge is their guys would be working and they'd decide who was funny. Yeah. Because they thought they'd say sent a, a, set a pay scale for around the country. And then the, the comics did. No, Dreesen and. Mm -hmm. And, and right. his group. Well, what's wrong with that is who is Dreesen to say I only deserve a hundred dollars? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. The idea of two people not even taking a vote, putting themselves in charge, and then deciding who's funny aggravated. Me. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't leave any room for growth, which I think would unless you're their friend. Well, Lebetkin is out front picketing. Steve Lebetkin. Yeah. Mitzi looks out the window, and that night he's on in La Jolla. Yeah. Because she had opened that one. She feels a little offended. So she said, fuck him, and cancels him out of La Jolla. Yeah. Well, people back in those times felt she was it. Right. You know? He, she had his wife in her uh, hands. Amount of comedy. Now, yeah. he, I'll get to the rest of this story, because I don't want to talk too bad about the dead. But after that, uh, they break into her office, the other side, and there's a dummy in her office says, you killed Steve Lebetkin. But now let's just clear this up because I talked about this with Jimmy. Steve Lebetkin come from New York. He was Richard Lewis's uh, good friend, and he, you know, he wasn't necessarily a great comic, but and, and he was trying some other things, from what I understand. But he was not always trying some other things because nothing worked. And I think it was a team at one point, right, with a woman. Yeah, but but he was not mentally. It was well. This is what I'm getting yeah. to. I helped clean out his apartment and found a shoebox full of letters. Dear mom and dad, I'm taking my life. Dear mom and dad, I'm taking my life. He finally found what he thought was a reason. Right. And an honorable thing to do. Right. You know. So in the name of the strike and in the yeah. name. Yeah. So, so he they broke off the building. 
Yeah. You know, some comics just don't think straight at all. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but from that 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 moment between the strike and that, that put a darkness on the place. Oh, it was all over the news. Yeah. It was, you know, to the to the locals that are, listen to the news, it seems like it's getting pretty ugly. Somebody was hit by a car. Somebody jumped off the roof. And I remember, you know, uh, co- comics like Carson, these guys going, you yeah, know, it's comedy. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Uh, so they put a dummy in her office mm-hmm. with a sign around its neck that said, okay. "You killed Steve Lebeckin," and from that minute on, she was never the same. Ugh. But it's uh, it, it was just a different time. Yeah, and then and then it became again a different time. Like when did so? Let's clear up some of the stuff that because I know that you, you you wanted to clear up some of the Schubert, Lebov, Kennison narrative. Well, Sam comes out twice. Mm-hmm. Second time he stays. First time he comes out married mm-hmm. uh, with his brother. Mm-hmm. And they're living at the Oakwood. Yeah, the residential uh, apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, eventually, you know, uh, the wife can't handle it. She has a kid, and they go back to Texas. And in those days when he was there, he sat at my feet. You know, he was a big muckety-muck by yeah. then at the store. Now I'm in a head, you know, a headliner. And when he comes back, he hangs with me. Like I say, come on over, and I'd open the door. There'd be seven guys. I said, I said, you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it's a role reversal. When he becomes famous. Right. So there was always a little tension between Sam and I. Yeah. Because Sam, the first time he came to the store, I said, I've met one of my goals. I said, what's that? He said, to meet you and Richard Belzer. Hmm. It's nice. So, yeah. So, yeah, until he becomes a star. And becomes a monster. <laughs> well, we, we, we don't talk for a long period. He comes back the second time, still with the entourage. They actually sleep in Westwood in the, in the store. At the comedy club. Yeah, because he was sent out there Yeah, because she didn't get it at all. Right. And if you want to know- Did anybody she, else? Or no, was no. You know, they'd walk out and he'd go, I wipe my ass with the names of your sacred dead. Yeah. Well, that didn't help it. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember the first time I saw him, he came off stage and I grabbed his arm and I said, uh, you have no fear. Yeah. He said, I used to have to heal them. This is easier. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, because he was a preacher, and right. he explained it to me. It's very much like the comedy circuit. Yeah. You know, if you do well, they have you back. Yeah, exactly. And if not, he'd steal the money. Right. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, he could pick locks like nobody's business. <laughs> he said, I'd get the money out of the churches that didn't want to pay. <laughs> so, now, here's how he becomes a regular at the store. I walk up one night, and sadly, uh, Argus was in the throes of alcoholism, and they're having a little tussle and he's he's dating mitzi yeah, at the time and they're having a little tussle by her car yeah and maybe he's even choking her I'm not yeah sure. yeah and sam sam goes you just gonna stand there i go i'm already a regular <laughs> so he went over threw argus off yeah. next night he's midnight every night after that <laughs> and eventually he finds his way that's how he made his break yeah yeah and eventually he finds his way carl I didn't even know Carl did comedy. Well, Bo, yeah. He went on one night, and I go, fuck, I didn't know you did comedy. He was great, too. Well, all he did is hang out with Sam. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a, like, they had a, like, a brother thing. Yeah. But Carl was like a follower. I can't explain it. Whatever Sam said, he did. Yeah, Sam I, said, kill him, he killed you. Yeah, I know, I know. And that's what I walked I into. mean, without question. Oh, yeah, that was the, that was the weird well, I, uh, sacred bond. Yeah. So, I... Uh, we get into an argument. I work a club in uh, somewhere in Texas, Amarillo, and I didn't even know it snowed there. Yeah. And the owner and I had a little problem. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I had no heat for three days. It's rented furniture. I think Ron Schock was one of the comics in there. And yeah. eventually I broke his table and put it in the fireplace. And he came over and he goes, 
what's wrong with the heat? He goes, where's my table? I go, listen, we're comics, not prisoners. Yeah. And uh, so he didn't like me. And he recorded everybody. And when I saw that, I said, I'm not going on stage. This is Friday. He had a room full of tape recorders. Uh-huh. And he said, well, I tape everybody. I go, well, that's our act. It's against the law. What do you do with it? Well, I give it out to my friends. Yeah, that's against the law. Yeah. I said, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Until they're off. Yeah. So they introduce me, and I just sit on the stage, and the audience doesn't know what you do. Uh-huh. I just sit there drinking my drink. It seemed like 15 minutes, but I'm sure it was only four. Yeah. And somebody yelled, they're off, and I went, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> then the last night, he said, the mayor's here. Don't do that heckling shit you do. So I take the stage, and I go, uh... <laughs> Somebody step in mayor. I smell mayor. <laughs> mayor, 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 mayor. Yeah. For most of the act. Yeah. I go in the office. He said, I'll never fucking have you back here. Knock at the door. It's the mayor. Would you come to my barbecue tomorrow? I shut the door and the guy goes, hey, would you take me? I go, fuck you. <laughs> I said, who's here next? He said, Kinnison and then Mooney. I go, please treat them the way you treated me. Well, Kinnison gets fired after three days. Yeah. And this is the call I get. I'm up at the store. Come on up here. You bad mouth me. I'll kick your ass. I go, stay right there. Yes, I, I was not afraid of Sam. Of yeah. Sam. He never attacked me, ever, Yeah, because he once told Malika, he is scary. Yeah, Alan, Alan, you can beat him, but don't fall asleep. He'll shoot in the head. Sam was afraid of him. Yeah, yeah. And he also had a thing with spiritually with the Jews. Yeah. So What uh, does that mean? I don't know. I thought we knew shit. Like when Kevin <laughs> killed himself. Seriously, when Kevin killed himself, he flew me into Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, he said, Alan, he was murdered. We all think he was murdered. We yeah. want to know what you think. So I went in the in the mother's bedroom, and yeah. I'm sitting there, and I look up, and there's still a little piece of hair and stuff hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. And I just sit in there five minutes like I'm working the Jew mojo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then I open the door. He comes in, and he goes, well, what happened, Alan? I go, well, it's real easy, Sam. Mother's day, mother's gun, mother's room. Yeah. That's not murder. Yeah. Alan says he wasn't murdered. <laughs> Come on. I wish I was making this shit up. Oh, my God. Then at the funeral, he says to me, listen, all these guys are fake. They're going to speak. But this one guy, you should listen to him. So that one guy's in the middle of the speech, and he looks at me, Mitchell, and goes, now I know we have some strangers here. Nah. If you would just take my hand and cross the bridge. Mitchell goes, why is he looking at us? I go, a stranger in Oklahoma means Jew. <laughs> so the, so it was a preacher, some old preacher guy. Yeah, but and he's good, yeah. but he does it like five times, and Sam now knows he's he's as phony as the next guy. Yeah. So he comes over, and he apologizes to me. I said, it's no big deal. Yeah. And then they owned a church, and I just remember- The family? Yeah. The mother. Mm-hmm. And, I, and she remarried a, a guy that I think preached to, and they had it. And I just remember the mother one day saying, when they were making the food afterwards, get the pickaninnies in here. And Sam saw my face. He goes, Mom, don't do that in front of Alan. Whatever you do, don't do that in front of Alan. <laughs> oh, man. So I mean, we had our arguments. Because you know how he was. You're out. Yeah. No, and if you'd leave his party, yeah. like he had a house that sat on a cliff. And there's no way down except the front door. Yeah. So if you go for the front door, he plays party goalie yeah. and blocks it and knocks you on your ass. Yeah. So one night I bought some rope up, tied it to the railing around the cliff, and I lowered myself down, walk around, got in the car, and it's that little sports car with no top. Yeah. As I'm driving down, you hear throughout the canyon, you're out, you're out, you're out. I get home, you son of a bitch, you fucked me, you fucked me, you're out. Hangs up. About two days later. I moved into a little house in Beverly Hills, and I didn't have a refrigerator. Yeah. And he revamped his house, sent me over a refrigerator, all his furniture. That was his way of saying, uh, I'm back. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why was it so important for us to be part of that? Well, 
here's what Mitzi said when I joined them. Alan's not a follower. He's doing it for the money. And she yeah. was dead on right. Because uh-huh. I left on my own being owed money yeah. in around 1990. Yeah. Because I just couldn't take it anymore. Because here's what happened. I bump into him and he invites me up to this house he had just rented. It's his first rental house. And these two blondes are there. The twins. Yeah, and we party and he passes out like he always does. He never sleeps in a bed. Yeah, it's always under a, under a table. Yeah, on the or floor. Or on the bathroom floor. Face down. Yeah. Yeah. And he paid 5000 a night for a suite. That's yeah. where you'll find him. Yeah. So uh, when he fell asleep, I didn't like the girls going through his pockets. So I sent them home. Hmm. And the next day he called me up all pissed. Who are you to fucking me? I said, they're taking advantage of you, brother. And then he believed me, and he yeah. liked me, and we started hanging out again. He says, listen, want to come out with me and Carl? Sure. Uh, just don't talk to the audience. Just do material. Because mm-hmm. he couldn't, uh, if I talked to the audience, it uh, upset him. Why, because it created a different vibe? It, it did well, and he yeah. didn't like that. Right. You know, I mean, I did well with the just material, but that's not really what I do. Right. And I would go, and then Carl, and then him. Then he said, hey, we should get somebody else. So yeah. there was Belzer yeah. for a couple shows, and then there was Paulie, yeah. and we were at the Dunes. Yeah. And he didn't know what to do. Right. And he was just cursing for no reason, and it sucked. And I'm standing in the green room, half in the hallway and half out, and I see her storming. I mean storming towards the green room. And Paulie goes, uh, I wonder what my mother's going to think. I go, your mother's not here tonight. You're about to meet the cunt that owns this place. <laughs> and she flies in the door and goes, you are off the show unless Alan and Mitchell take you upstairs right now and organize an act for you. You are fucking terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be a comic. Here it comes. And eventually, I think I bought in Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And it was just us. And the show went, the four of us. Mm-hmm. And we were playing town so many times then it became the three of us, Sam and the piano. Mm-hmm. And we'd come out and do things with him. Mm-hmm. Then we used to all jam together and rent places and said, whoever makes it first, we'll do the band. So then it became the band. And uh, at some point, as he get, becomes bigger, all these rockers start joining us. Yeah. We were in a strip club. Yeah. And at the other end is Billy Idol. Every girl's dancing to White Wedding. Yeah. Sam and I are just sitting way at the other end by ourselves. He goes, wish i could say we were creative yeah he goes we need a song yeah and leslie west said do wild thing i wish i could say we decided to do it for business reasons but it was all about pussy yeah and then that song took off you know he lucked out he was sleeping with uh, jessica Hahn as she brought down the church so he makes her wild thing he did that entire video uh, marty colner wanted it to be about religion he said fuck no and he was managed by a a, a company that had all the rockers so he put her in a ring and Slash is drunk and they're grabbing at her tits and they got to go cut. Hey, I'm scared. It'll leave the girl alone. In fact, there's a shot of Slash in the trash can in the video. Yeah. That's really where he was. He <laughs> fell in the trash can. <laughs> but the video takes off, which makes it even hotter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just kept snowballing. And then we get our first arena gig. It's in Ohio. And Not I, an easy state. Yeah, I'm at Sam's place, and we're looking out, and I notice a helicopter. And I say, Sam, that helicopter sits right there every night. He goes, it's L.A., brother. <laughs> you know, it's not close, It's but I can see it. Mm-hmm. So we each have limos. Maybe there's two to a limo. I don't know. But there's about four limos and a truck because we, we're, we're like a rock band now. You're driving. Uh, no, we're going to fly, but there's all equipment and stuff. Yeah. And from there... We start driving on the buses and shit, and women are following us from different states. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
So we get to the airport. And I'm the first one there, and I get go to get out. And a cop grabs my door as a helicopter lands right there. And uh, I think it was DEA, Malibu Sheriff's, and Los Angeles Police. And I, and I said, uh, he said, could you get out, out of the car? There's a drug investigation. He goes, well, let me get out of your way. He goes, no, you're part of it. Oh, man. So we all get out of the car, and they line up our luggage. And uh, I have a bag of pot under my fat belly. Mm-hmm. And they go through everybody's luggage, and when they get to Sam's, of course, he's just sitting right out on top, and he blames it on his brother, who's still a preacher on Billy, mm-hmm. who wears three-piece suits and preaches. Mm-hmm. He had to wind up going to a drug class, and he had to stand up and say, what did you do? Mm-hmm. He said, I didn't do anything. She says, you want to repeat this course? He says, fine, I'm all coked up. So uh, it's a big scene, big commotion, and we don't know what's going on yet. But they're searching everything. He gets to my uh, suitcase and he goes, something was in here. I go, hey, but it's not now. And we start Why, making- Why, because they had dogs? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the dog went crazy on my suitcase. Nothing was in mine. Right. Mine's in under my stomach. Yeah. That's how good the dog is. Yeah. So I, I literally said to him, I said, your dog's high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not afraid of cops. Sam is terrified of being arrested. So I decide we're going to call uh, the publicist and- make some stink and they see we're doing it so they want to move us to another part of the airport and i'm in the car with mitchell or somebody in the cop i said let me ask you a question if i don't if you find pot on me later on it's the same fine right he goes yeah and i go well you don't want to look in my pants uh-huh. oh you comics <laughs> anyway it winds up we sign autographs and leave but we missed our flight yeah so we get back to sam's house he goes boy that helicopter all makes sense now wish i had some of that pot that was great and i pull mine out and he goes oh fuck yeah you know, he, he, how do you do that? Yeah. I, I keep a straight face. Yeah. And now we go to Ohio. We make the plane the next day. And I have my gun in a leather bag, some jewelry in my pot. Sam says, would you hold my cocaine? So I stick it in my leather bag. And I'm about to go on. We each have a cop at our door. So I hand the bag to the cop. I say, keep an eye on this for me, will you? I do my set. After the show, we're all in one room. Sam goes, hey, where's my blow? And I open the door and I go, officer. And he hands me my bag, and Sam goes crazy. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? I go, Sam, if he looks in there, it's an illegal search and seizure. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Don't do it again. What the fuck? What the fuck? So you liked fucking with him. Well, I just, it, it, actually, I wasn't even thinking. I thought, well, who best to hold it than a cop? But what did you think of, like, at that point, you know, like, in, in my mind, that first Sam Kennison album is the best comedy album. It's over after that. Yeah, because here's right. what happened. Yeah, because like that thing is great. Prior, and Jimmy Walker, Jimmy Walker at one point managed Jay Leno, Letterman, yeah. everybody, but he had them on his payroll. Yeah, because you can't turn material fast enough once you become famous. Right, you know, it takes you ten years to get that first album. That's right, fifteen years. In fact, uh, Jimmy, after I wrote him the joke, this is what's in his book. His people sent me, "We'd like you to write for us," and it was column single column about five on uh, rows on a page yeah jimmy won't say dynamite jimmy won't use the n-word jimmy won't do this so i wrote back tell me when jimmy wants to be funny yeah <laughs> okay not realizing I, it was a job right uh and uh so after that he's the you know the party starts and i must say sam was the same guy as you know yeah before the fame yeah you know he was once out of money his mother gave him 10 grand he went to the saint james got the big suite this was Friday. Monday, he's dead broke, sleeping yeah. on my floor. Right. So he was that before he was famous. Right. It just elevates now because nobody's saying no. Right. And he had demons is the best way to put it. 
uh, he was a tortured man. You know, first off, he has to fight with, I don't believe in religion. Mm Mm-hmm. He's very, him and I have very spiritual conversations. But I think that ultimately he believed all the way through. He believed, yes, but not in, in, not in the way to make money on it. No, right. Not in the way to, so he's very divided. Plus in his world, he's the devil because he's doing jokes like, you know, Jesus came back now, you know what you do to him. He pretends he's nailing him to the cross. Right, right. You know, so that was a big thing for him. Because he believed in Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's a big thing for right. him mentally. Right. And uh, and it is a 180, yeah. you know, from yeah. what he used to be. Right. And now, of course, women are, you know, mm-hmm. you know how it goes with money and fame. Mm-hmm. You know, he could look like a toad. It makes no difference. Mm-hmm. And the women come and, in fact, back in those days, if you did what, uh, well, everybody, as you're walking off stage, they'd shake your hand. There'd be joints. There'd be mm-hmm. cocaine. There'd be phone numbers from the women every night. Mm-hmm. So now that it's really big, he's hard to keep up with. It's very, very draining. Scary. He, he's a, yes, he, it's even worse. Now, when he used to take over the place you lived, uh, a lot of those threats and stuff were just him high, you know, yeah. or he was like me. He'd do it, and if you took him serious, he'd let you think he was coming to kill you. Yeah. And you would believe it because he did try to go after a few guys. Yeah. It's very unpredictable. Yeah. And eventually, we're doing shows where... Uh, he's getting a hundred thousand dollars a night, and yeah. the bodyguards, nobody, Malika, nobody can get through to him. One time, he's laying on a bathroom floor, and this is how I'd handle him. Yeah. I'm in a tux, and I lay down next to him, and I yeah. don't say a word. Yeah. Finally, he opens his eyes. He goes, "What the fuck do you want?" I go, "Nothing. I want to sleep too. Everybody's bugging me." Yeah. <laughs> he said, "Really?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Let's just nod out, man." I go, "All right. I just want to say, you know, I'm only losing a few grand, but you lose a hundred thousand tonight. Shut the fuck up." I go get up, and I throw him in the shower. Turn it on cold. Get coffee. You know, I, I, after a while, you get tired of being the baby. I was a babysitter. Did you hit a wall? I mean, at some point, did you like? Because you, you're, no. A, you're, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I'm, I don't have an addictive personality in any way. I remember. I'll tell you a funny story about you. Please do, because I don't remember. Uh, no, you wouldn't remember. It was just one of these weird moments where, like, I was told, and if we can talk candidly, I was told that you know. You had you if you were doing blow, you had two. You had the ones you did, and then the ones you cut for other people. No, to... it's, it's the opposite way. What? Oh, was the reason it... I never had a problem is most of the time I was doing inositol, vitamin B. No, oh, you weren't doing blow. No, I, it's an ugly drug. I did it sometimes, because I nine want... times out of ten, I'm faking it. What? what uh, that, so you had a vial, and it mm-hmm. wasn't even cut. I had three. Yeah, I had the cut. Yeah, the uncut. And the nothing. And the nothing. I once sold Argus an eighth of nothing. And he called hours later saying it was the best he's ever done. Do I have more? Sure, I have all you want. (laughs) You know, I had to make a living. And you never got hooked? No. Not on anything. Uh, In fact, what happened is eventually I had cancer and quit and stopped doing everything. Really? How long was that? Uh, 17 years ago. And you're good now? Well... Uh, they thought last year I had a mass in my kidney, which I do, and they said it's nothing to worry about. And I just went yesterday to see if I had, uh, I have bilateral masses on my back, mm-hmm. but I was in a brutal car accident two years ago. Mm-hmm. And thank God I haven't settled yet, mm-hmm. because the doctor said, I think these are caused by trauma. 
They're mm. some kind of hemosomes. Oh, really? And he said, but I'm doing an MRI just to make sure this week, and then I will call my attorneys and say I want every dime. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So, but, like, it ultimately, like, uh, after all that shit came to pass, I mean, you weren't around when he died, right? I am with Greg Allman. Yeah. And I am appearing in Fremont, California. Yeah. And Greg is a fan, which uh-huh. is a long story. And everybody would rent hotel rooms and when I played this hotel. And we'd party. Yeah. And Bob Moore, did you know him? Mm-mm. From Fremont? Funny, funny guy that booked comics and... He was uh, booking Fremont, so I'm in this hotel, and as I get ready to go on stage, he goes, I gotta tell you, Sam just died. I go, what? What did he, what did he OD from? Mm-hmm. He said, car accident. I go, thank God. Believe it or not, I said, thank God, because everybody would have said it was drugs, and it was not his fault. And then he goes on stage and says to the audience, hey, he just lost his best friend. And I took the stage. I go, Bob, great, great, great way to bring me up. <laughs> yeah. dig, dig my way out of this. Yeah. But here's the cool part. Uh, Greg Ullman was a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. And this is what I learned from him one night. Uh, I get the message, come to his room. And there's a bunch of people in there. And he's at his desk with his head down like he's out of it completely. And one of his minions gets everybody out. It's just him and me. And he just raises his head and goes, want to talk brother i lost my brother i said yeah and we talked for about 45 minutes uh and uh, about losing somebody close and then i opened the door and i looked back and he puts his head back down like he's fucked up because he just didn't want to be bothered with uh with people yeah and but you, you talked about the grief yeah so, but in in terms of uh how your career ended up i mean you ended up like walking in with roseanne and we were no a actually time. Actually, what happens is Robert Wall yeah. has six episodes of a show sold, uh-huh. but he has five writers and- Arliss? Yeah, and five writers could not crack it. So I said, let me take a try. I can't be any worse than them. And if you know Robert, he's very egotistical. He goes, yeah, you can. <laughs> he's well, a good guy, though. <laughs> I've had him in here. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, I wound up, it was the pilot. Yeah, I wrote it. Okay, uh, what became the pilot of Arliss? Yeah, so I started writing for him, and at the same time, Tom Arnold, who I didn't speak to Roseanne for five years because I couldn't handle him, and he yeah. didn't want anybody around her. They yeah. separate, and long story short, she hires me. So I'm doing two shows at the same time, and I wind up exec producer of both of them. Really? Yeah. At the beginning or towards? I the... come in the last four years. Wow, so that's good. Well, I'm now handling everything anything Roseanne does. Yeah. And, you know, Jay is just got the Tonight Show. Right. And I haven't talked to him. Last time I talked to him, I was a scab. And I think one time he stopped to uh, fix my car. Yeah. And said, why don't you get this thing painted? Yeah. And another time I lived in his, down the street from him, he'd run me off the road with his Ferrari. And he thought that was funny. That's all the contact I had with him since the strike. So I'm in her trail and the phone rings. He goes, yeah, I, uh, I'm a little, I wonder if I could talk to Roseanne. I go, what's this about? And he doesn't recognize the voice. Yeah. He goes, well, you know, I just got to the night show and I, I need some help with the gas and, you know, he's a big star. And do you know who you're talking to, Jay? Yeah. Uh, I think I do. <laughs> I guess I'm fucked, huh? <laughs> go, Let me call you back. <laughs> well, the president of his network had pissed me off, Warren Littlefield, yeah. which is another story. So I said to Roseanne, you want to go do it? He needs some help. Yeah, sure. So I call him up and I go, yeah, she'll do it on one condition. Uh, we'd like to say something about the president of your network. Oh, I just got the job. 
so it's just a trade-off. So he lets me do this sketch yeah. because uh, he said to me, if something we were doing worked, me and Roseanne, yeah. he'd eat crow. Yeah. Well, it worked. Yeah. So I took the kid from her show, Michael Fishman, DJ, played her son. Uh-huh. I put him in a bozo red wig uh-huh. and a suit. Uh-huh. So during her interview, she says, he says, I understand our president's here to say something to you. And the curtain opens, and underneath it says president of NBC. Uh-huh. And the guy comes out with the silver tray, opens it, and he starts eating crow, and the curtain closes. <laughs> so now he calls me, you know, uh, like next month, hey, Alan, I want, can she stop by again? It was great. One condition. And I kept going after Warren Littlefield. Uh-huh. One time he says to me, do you know who's doing those jokes? I, I don't get it. And I go, I don't get it either. <laughs> uh, so, but the nice thing he did, my parents, I brought them to the Tonight Show. Yeah. And... Uh, we're backstage, and after the show, he just walks up to me. He says, you ought to be proud of him. I mean, look, look where he's, look where he's at. I mean, even Jay was impressed. So yeah. it, it was a funny thing. And and after that, Jay and I have been fine to this day. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, we don't hang, but if I bump into him, you know, he's always driving his car around my neighborhood, a fire truck or something. Yeah, you know, I'll pull up next to him and I'll go, seriously, fire truck. Yeah. <laughs> what was your problem with uh, Littlefield? Uh there were two movie of the weeks about Roseanne and Tom Arnold. Mm-hmm. One was on his network and it was going to be like Halloween or something. Yeah. And he wanted to know if she would host it. So I go to his office and he's not there and they take me into his office and they leave me there for like an hour. Yeah. And there's a ball of M&Ms. Well, I eat them all. Yeah. And then he walks in and ignores me, yells to his secretary, starts typing. How do you spell apologize? I go S-O-R-R-Y. And he just stares at me. Then he sits down and he looks at the ball. And he goes, shouldn't have kept me waiting. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes like this. Listen, you. This is live. If you go one second over, it's going to cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars into the news. I go, well, then I would get more M&Ms. <laughs> and you know, these guys have no sense of humor. They, right. You know, none. None of these. Even the, the people that produce comedy shows, no sense of humor. Yeah. So I said, so... uh I don't know if it's a good thing to do. We're on another network. And he goes, well, we're going to beat your network. I'm telling you. You're going to beat your, ne- your the one on ABC or I'll eat crow. Yeah. All so right. That, so that was it. All right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because I didn't like the way I was treated. And these people are not used to, um, I guess, rebel thinkers. Like one time I threatened the president of William Morris back then. Because he said something to me about Roseanne, which is a whole nother story. And I said, you have five minutes to fire that fucking agent. Or she goes, ICM. And she calls me. He goes, did you threaten the president of William Morris? I go, oh, is that what he is? <laughs> yeah. You know? So they're not used to being confronted yeah. on any level. So and, and And ultimately, in the, in the big picture, eventually, it didn't, uh, like, because sometimes they can they can make you pay. Well, they did. Yeah. Like, after the Roseanne show ended, I remember I sold a pilot to Nickelodeon. And yeah. I have a partner also named Alan. Yeah. And as we get up, the vice president of the network says, which one's the Alan from Roseanne? Mm-hmm. And we get outside, and the other Alan's manager goes, hey, they recognized you. <laughs> and I say to my new agent, not good. <laughs> so I go over to his office later in the day, because Nickelodeon called. I go, am I out? He goes, nope. They love your writing. They just want to know if they're going to have a problem with you. I go, what'd you say? I said, Alan's a good soldier. I don't know what you're talking about. He did his job and he did it well. Maybe that's what the job required. Somebody mm-hmm. had to be the bad guy. Yeah. And Nickelodeon and I had no problem. I've had no problem working anywhere. But it, it took about five years for that to go away. And uh, uh, 
and by then, you know, I had the credits and everything to back it up. So, so they were willing to. Yeah, but back then, you know, I'm a I'm a comic. Yeah. Somebody handed me a TV show. I didn't. I didn't know I had to do the editing, put in the laugh track. And, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I learned every. Nobody's teaching me anything. They hate my guts. I yeah. just was given the job. Right. Uh, tell you the truth, I was fighting cancer. I just got out of the surgery, mm-hmm. and she went through a showrunner every year. So uh, the guy who was currently running it. She got rid of. So this is the call I get from one of Carsey Warner's people. Alan, we'd like you to uh, run the show. And I do one of these. (coughs) I think I'm dying. You know that, don't you? And I'm I'm fine. They've already moved the thyroid. I'm cancer-free. Yeah. But I'm not supposed to work. Right. So my father's staying with me. I'm not allowed to drive or anything. So I go over there, and I take a briefcase. He said, what's that for? I want to look important. And I go into the meeting, and they tell me what they're willing to pay me, and I walk out. I tell my father, he goes, Alan, I never made that in a year. Turn around. I'm begging you to turn around. I go, fuck them. And they stopped me at the gate, and I went back in. We did that two or three more times before they met my price. But in the meeting, I said, let's not kid ourselves. How many people said no? <laughs> because there's four executives above me. He goes, all of them. Like, well, I feel special. Yeah. And it was the quietest. That guy used to come down the set and said, this is the quietest the show's ever been. When I took over, Roseanne pulled me aside and said, I will never walk on you. I'll argue with you, but I'll never walk on you. And like the second show, I was in a panic, and she realized I couldn't find her, and that's when she said that to me. And she kept to her word. And we were the quietest show, because by then, Brett Butler was in a tree throwing Coke cans at the producers and showing her fake boobs to the kid on her show playing her right. son. Right, And next door is Sybil, who demands to sing on every episode. And what I used to say is uh, when the... Carsey Warner representative come to set because none of them, no exec was allowed on our set. He'd come on and I go, oh, she's singing today? He goes, how would you know that? And I go, because there's no crows on top of that building. And then there was one other person that was giving them trouble. So we had a very quiet time, Roseanne and I, and, and uh, we're like brother and sister. I, you know, listen, that woman's a genius. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of what her reputation is is other people's nonsense. Yeah. You know, when you have a vision and people go, well, I think it should be this way. And you go, no, it's this way. You're a bitch. You're hard to work with. You're, uh, you're a tough guy. You're a son of a bitch. And it's all about a vision. And when people think they know more than you, it's very frustrating. And as a comic, I didn't know the rules of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, to executives, I go, get the fuck out of here. Uh, uh, like uh, when I took over the show, I didn't know the network gave you notes. And it was a new girl. Yeah. And I just went, uh-huh, thank you. And I didn't say anything because Roseanne would throw them out. I didn't know what to do. And this is Monday. By Thursday, if there were 10 notes, nine of them were addressed. So I call up and I, Roseanne says, thank you. What? I heard she's, uh, what? And she said, thank you. And after about six times of that, she said, I want you to change this. Like, we can't win all the time. Right. But I had a rapport with her. And I said, why don't you come to the show? Oh, no. Nobody from this network's ever been on that show since the first year. I said, don't worry about it. And she sat there, and this is how good Roseanne is. The show ends, and she, it's like she sniffs. She goes, is that an executive over there, you son of a bitch? I go, just walk by and say thank you, and I'll explain later. And I said, she said, thank you. She goes, I said, the other showrunners would tell him, you're a difficult bitch. Instead of addressing the notes and taking it seriously, they've been blaming you. I let him know it's not you. 
So I slowly learned how to be clever, but I was not diplomatic, let's say that. In fact, uh, a lot of the writers used to call me Luca Brazzi because I had a certain walk when I was angry. It means you were going. Uh And uh, and then when I took over the show, they resented it because clearly uh, they know I'm flying by the seat of my pants. And what are you doing now? Uh, I'm working. uh, Possibly I'm bringing Roseanne back to television. I also have a movie coming out with with Ralphie Mae starring. Uh, it goes into pre-production in uh, February, and I have a project over at TV One and one over at Fox. So we'll see what happens. It's amazing. Yeah, what amazing is is that you know I'm from the streets. Yeah, I'm dyslexic and I can't spell. Yeah. So when I take over the Roseanne show, there's 26 writers. Yeah. Schooled writers. There are about five comedians, but it's schooled college writers. Right. And to them, I'm the next Tom Arnold. Uh-huh. You know, I don't even know how to work a computer. Right. I use the keys, and that's where I put my, uh, those notepads. Yeah, the sticky notes. Yeah. yeah. In my keys. Mm-hmm. So my secretary come in and go, oh, do you have anything for me? And I take them out of the keys. That, to me, it was working the computer. Right. And, uh, uh, but I had fantastic ideas. I used to, as a kid, have to watch TV uh, without any sound. Because I had to go to bed, and I'd watch The Fugitive, and I yeah. have to figure out what the hell's going on. Right. So I'm great with story. Yeah. That's a, well, it's a great story because, like, I mean, despite the fact that you never got strung out or fucked up, you know, the the cult of personality and, and the sort of whole tone of what comedy was and what you lived through, I mean, it could certainly crush you. Well, it depends. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends. I, I Could I have been somebody faster? Maybe. Mm-hmm. In stand-up? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think anybody ever got me back then. That was the other thing. Any time I did a TV show, they go, well, how do we know when you're done? I go, I say goodnight. <laughs> to me, I never wanted to be on The Tonight Show. You know what I wanted to be? What? When I grew up, my dad was a gambler, so I was left in the showrooms of Vegas a lot. I've seen everybody. Uh, Anthony Newley, Sinatra, Sammy Davis, when they were somebody. Yeah. Big, you know? Mm-hmm. When Vegas was Vegas. And I'd go into the lounges. And all I wanted to be in life was a lounge comedian in Vegas. Like Shecky Green? Yeah. That's all I ever wanted to be. I just wanted to sit in a room every night and go home and just be in Vegas. I don't care about the rest of the world. But Vegas changed. Right. So there was no way to do that. And I got this opportunity to write, and I ran with it. Yeah. And uh, I finally learned how to work the computer. And (laughs) over time, all of a sudden, I'm a writer. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, and I'm Alan. I'm really excited for, for you, truth, truthfully. I appreciate I, I've that. I've watched your career over the years. and uh, From when we used to sit in the house, yeah. I would have never thought, you know, because I thought you were lost, but yeah. you came back strong, brother. I, I, I appreciate I, that, Alan. I, I think that's a great thing. Thanks for talking to me, man. Thank you. All right, folks, that was uh, a journey into the darkness. That is the comedy store. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, Alan, for doing that, for filling in the gaps. You go to WTFPod.com. If you like the show and you're just new to it, you can get the uh, free app, upgrade to the to the premium app, and stream all 400 and many episodes. Sometimes the great leveler is waiting for your car. Boomer lives!